0: Hello, hello, welcome to today's episode, the Acknowledged Dogs podcast brought to you by Matador Canine Brilliance. I am your host, Michael Aceta, owner of Matador Canine Brilliance, host of the Acknowledged Dogs podcast and author of the dog training Codes. Let's jump into it. Before we get into today's show, we do have a couple of announcements. Number one, the Dog Training Cheat Codes is now available for physical copy or ebook at MatadorK9.com. The Dog Training Cheat Codes is designed for the individual who wants to take their relationship with their dog to the next level. They want to not only train their dog, but to train their dog to the fullest extent. They're sick and tired of going onto YouTube and only getting 10% of the information. They want all of it. If you are greedy and you want the information that's actually going to give you the results you want with your dog, head over to matadorcanine.com and get the dog training cheat codes today. We have a whole bunch of things coming up in the near future, so make sure that you subscribe to our newsletter at matadorcanine.com. You can sign up at the bottom of the page or any of the links in the podcast. You can just head over there and sign up for that. There's a whole bunch of things happening. A whole bunch of new things are going to be uh, put out here content-wise, training-wise, Offer-wise, everything's gonna be out there, so make sure you're staying up to date with that. We also have the dog training planner. This is a custom planner that I built with the intention of having a systematic, organized way to take your notes and see progress with your dog. Oftentimes what happens is we just jot down a couple of notes here and there of what we did, or worse, we try to just remember everything we did at a training session, and we can't progress faster because we're not taking accurate detailed notes or we don't have this collection of data in a very simple formatted way that's easy to understand and easy to process. So I created a planner through my almost 10 years of dog training that covers everything that you would need to know, a small summary, the notes checklists, how you felt the session went, how the session actually went, what you need to do next time. Everything is included in this planner, along with a simple diagram of so many complex behavioral theories and strategies. That is available at matadorcanon.com for e-copy only at the moment. You can print out those pages and use it, but we will be giving a uh, physical copy very, very soon. So stay tuned for that. Without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to the show. Thank you for taking the time today to sit down and chat with me. I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm not going to talk so much about dog training theory, although I know that's why you are here. Today, I actually want to help you understand where I came from, why I train dogs, why I train dogs the way that I do, and why I look at it in such a different way than most dog trainers in the profession. So I'm basically going to tell you my story. What is, What created the thought process that I have now? Why am I so steadfast on doing it right? Why do I think training matters so much? How did I even get into dogs in the first place? I did not grow up around dogs. My family was very anti-dog people. Not that we hated dogs, not that we didn't like them, but my mom always thought that it was going to require a lot more work on her part because she was the mom, and she took care of everything, and we were young kids, right? My siblings wanted a dog for years, and they were never able to convince my parents to get one. My aunts and uncles had had bad experiences with dogs. Even my grandpa had gotten bitten by a German Shepherd. One of my aunt's friends got her ear torn off by a dog. So there were so many things stacked against me when I asked my parents and said, hey, I want to get a dog. So I'm going to tell you the whole story right now. The first interaction I remember with a dog was my grandmother's dog. Her name was Princess. She was a lab, and we were told not to really engage with her much. She was a very sweet dog. She didn't have any problems, and the only time I ever remember interacting with her was when she had stolen a piece of tinfoil that we were cooking with. My dad went to go steal it out of her mouth, and he got bit in the finger. Nothing severe, didn't lose his hand, but it was enough to... Make me think twice about grabbing a dog's mouth as a six or seven year old, however old I was at the time. That stuck with me for a long time. Now, as I got older, my parents would take my siblings to go to the pet store just to get the feeling of wanting a dog out of their system. Oh, I love puppies. I want a puppy. I want to see a puppy. All right, well, let's go to the pet store. They see a puppy for a little bit, they play a little bit, and then my siblings were satisfied. They were satiated. They no longer had the desire to get a puppy. Hey guys, I just want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor. The sponsor for today's episode is Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free, and there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. That's where this podcast was made, and maybe that'll be where your podcast will be made. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This was fine and dandy until I came to the age where I wanted a puppy. And my mom's favorite response when you said, oh, I want a dog that just kind of lounges around all the time and plays when we want to play. She would say, great, we have plenty of stuffed dogs. We have plenty of stuffed animals. You can play with those. Those are the best. You don't have to clean up after them. You don't have to feed them. They just relax there, and you can play with them when you want. It's a perfect dog. It's a stuffed animal. And that was my mom's response for so long. Until I hit the age of around 12, 14 years old. I was steadfast on getting a dog. I wanted a dog. And so, as as I did as a kid, I started making PowerPoints and I had presentations, and I wrote up everything, and I I tried to handle every every possible objection they could throw at me, right? Oh, well, I'll take care of the dog. I'll do this. I'll get a job. I'll do the you know whatever it is, right? I'll take the dog to the vet. I'll take the dog to the park. I'll make sure the dog has plenty of exercise. I'll do all these things, and said it's not gonna happen. You have high school. I was in track at the time. I also had a job at the local church. I had all these things piling up. How could I possibly, how could I possibly take care of a dog? So I was shot down. Now for two years, I asked to get a dog. I said, I really want a dog. I really want a dog. I really want a dog. I really, 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 really want a dog. And I kept saying no and no. Historically in my life, it has taken two years of me asking or trying to do something for it to actually stick. Two years is, is around the cutoff for me. So when I was younger, six, seven years old, I wanted to start martial arts. I had asked my parents. I said, I want to start doing karate. I want to do karate. I want to do karate. Two years later, they finally said, great, we'll sign you up for karate. And I had asked them about this. I said, why Why is that the process? And they said, well, we wanted to make sure you really wanted to do this. And it wasn't a phase. Kids go through phases all the time. We go through phases as adults. You say, ooh, I want to try rock climbing. But do you really want to try rock climbing? Is it something that you really want to do? So when I was younger and I wanted to do karate, it was going to be a a huge investment. I had to get the uniform. I had to get the belt. I had to get the equipment. It cost a lot of money every month to go. And if I was going to start something, I was going to get to black belt, and I eventually did. I think it was eight or nine years it took me to get to a black belt, but I did get it. And if I had just said, oh, I want to do karate, and it, it was a passing phase, we would have wasted all that money on a few months of lessons, and I wouldn't have taken it seriously. I had to take it seriously from the beginning and I had to prove that I was going to take it seriously. And with that knowledge, I went into getting a dog with my parents and I said, "2 years. I'm going to I'm going to try for 2 years before I eventually maybe give up if they if they still don't want to." But I didn't give up. Started when I was 14. Other things happened between those 2 years, 14 and 16 years old. I started reading. I started watching YouTube. I started studying dogs as much as I could outside of class and school and track and all the other things I was doing, I said, you know what, I just have to, I have to study this. I have to know everything I possibly can. Now, at the time, I had a limited number of resources. I was a 14-year-old kid. I could buy a couple books, and the books that I could buy were only of what I knew existed, right? So I can only, I can only learn as much as I knew existed in the world, I can't just go out and manifest this new information. I didn't know how to research certain things and and find uh, doctor notes and articles about things. I was just reading dog training books. And that's where I think a, a lot of my early failures came from. I didn't have the science backed up. I didn't know the genetics. I didn't know the chemistry. I didn't understand philosophy the way that I do now. Back then it was simple Caesar Milan kind of stuff. I read those books. I read Ian Dunbar a little bit. I didn't really get introduced to Ian Dunbar until I was in college. And when I was relating myself to the other individuals who had grown up with dogs, who had parents who trained dogs when we were in college, they would mention names and I would immediately write them down because I didn't know who that person was. I had no idea. I was on the slower end I was on the tail end of everybody. Everybody knew these things. They did 4-H. They did these training clubs. I had not done that when I got to college. I had experience with one dog at the time, and that was my own dog, which I got at 16 years old. After two years, two years of asking and proving that I was going to study, and I showed exactly what I needed to do, what the the outline would be for the day to make sure this dog was tired and exercised so it didn't cause any problems if there were these problems, what was my training plan going to be? This was all at 14, 16 years old. And I did this constantly. I said, we should get a dog. We should get a dog. We should get a dog. 16 years old, my dad finally went with me. And we got a dog. Not without everyone meeting the dog first, mind you. Everyone had to meet the dog. And I was steadfast on this. It wasn't my parents who said, oh, everyone should meet the dog. I said, everyone should meet the dog. Number one, you're going to fall in love with the dog once you meet it. Number two. I had a reason for each person meeting the dog, and that dog's name was Breezy. She's a Black Lab Pointer mix. We got her from an animal shelter in Wontaw, Last Hope. She was only at the shelter for 10 days, and we got her September 27th at 7 p.m. In 2017? No, that can't be right. 2015, I think. Yeah, 2015. She was nine months old. Fantastic dog. Might have been 2014. 2014, 2015 is when we got pretty And I brought her home and this was the schedule. Four o'clock in the morning, I'd run her for two miles on a bike. I'd go to school. I'd come home after school. I'd run her for another two miles. Then I would do my homework. I would do my studies, whatever I needed to do. And then I would go to work, which I was working at a church as a receptionist. I'd go to work and then I'd come home and I'd run her for another two miles. We ran six miles a day on the bike every single day for a few months before I had her trained to where I didn't have to worry about it anymore. And we could run around in the backyard and do other things. But again, I have limited knowledge here. I have a limited understanding. I'm 16 years old. I just got a dog for the first time. My parents say, okay, this is your responsibility. You're going to make sure that the training gets done. You're going to make sure that she doesn't ruin anything in the house. I'm on it. (laughs) right? I'm on it. I took on this whole responsibility to train this dog to the best possible that I can. All I had to do was keep her from causing problems. But there were a few ones that every single owner that I talked to has. She barks at other people. She pulls on leash. Now, Breezy was terrified of the outside environment. So I had to work through that and build up her confidence. And I didn't know how to do these things. I wasted maybe a year, year and a half, trying to figure it out on my own. Granted, I should have asked a professional for help, and I think that's what everybody should be doing now because it's so easily available. As long as you find a competent person, which, again, if you're looking for dog training, head over to matadorcanine.com. We can set up a free consultation and figure out what's going on with you and how we can progress faster than trying to figure it out on your own. I wasted almost two years trying to figure this out on my own. I then eventually went to college and I started writing down all of the mistakes I had made. Waiting too long, not having the right treats, not moving slow enough, not thinking of just building positive associations. Again, it sounds super simple based off what I know now. Oh, I should have just put the food in the car. She would have loved the car. Not put the car on, put the food in the car, right? I don't just start driving around trying to feed her. That's way too much. It's way too much stimulation. But slowly building a positive association to where she enjoyed it. I made that mistake for way too long. And so I had to humble myself and say, hey, maybe I didn't know as much as I thought I knew when I got this dog. And I had done two years of studying before getting the dog. How, How could I have done two years of studying prior to get the dog and still take two years to figure out everything I did wrong? It's because I'm human. And this is how the learning process works, especially if you don't have someone who's going to help you. So for me, I was just, I'm doing this on my own. I don't have money to pay for a trainer. I'm 16 years old. I was paying for food and other things. Of course, my parents helped when I didn't have the money, but it was my responsibility to take care of this dog. And I took it very seriously. I paid for all the equipment. I paid for the leashes, the harnesses, the crate, the collar, the vet bills as much as I could. You know, <laughs> clearly I'm 16 years old, my first job. I'm not rolling in dough, but. So that that led me up to college. Going to college, I was not the most knowledgeable about dogs. I was not the one with the most amount of history or the most training practice at the point. I wasn't. Simply put, my uh, significant other had four or five years of Formal training. She, she actually was in a training facility before going to college for dog training. She had years, years on me of formal education and teaching other people and training for herself. And when she got to college, she was like, oh, I know this. I know this. Great. So she excelled very, very quickly. It took me. Again, this is in college, and I'm, I'm telling you my mistakes that you don't make them. When I was in college, my first year, I studied on all of the general things you study in college. I did not train a dog for my first full year of college. In a college and in a degree that is focused on dog training, I did not train a single dog. Now, this was because there was some mix up in my schedule or whatever it is, and I tried to talk to my guidance counselor, and he couldn't fix it. Either way. My first year was spent on studying, understanding, grasping as much as I could of the concepts, the principles, the fundamentals, mastering those and understanding them so deeply so that when I did get in front of a dog, I knew exactly what I was doing, why I was doing it, and how to do it efficiently, effectively, to the best of my ability. Second and third year, because I graduated in three years, second and third year, all I did was train dogs. I was in a couple clubs, but I had gotten all the other classes out of the way. All I did was train dogs for those two years. I spent most of my time in the training facility with dogs, either training the dogs that I was assigned for class, doing special projects with other dogs or training with other people on their dogs. That was my entire, entire life for those two years. Even over one of the summers I had stayed and I was training dogs. That became an obsession for me. I understood the fundamentals and the principles, but there was so much more that I needed to learn. And so every chance I got, I would absorb this new information. I would hang out in the office and just listen to other people talk about problems because I wanted to see if I could figure out what the problem was first and what the solution might be before they did. Could I pick up on all these patterns? Could I pick up on the common problems and see what common solutions or what different solutions might I propose? What ideas, what problems could I solve without even seeing the dog first? Because then I can go and see the dog and see what the problem is, and that means I could solve the problem so much faster. But if I can get this list, I can say, okay, well, the dog has separation anxiety, and I know that because X, Y, and Z. All the problems that are being presented show me that the dog has separation anxiety. If I can just see that and study it and understand it, the next time I see a dog with separation anxiety, I know immediately what it is and I know immediately what I need to do. And I got very, very proficient at hearing these different problems and knowing almost immediately that it might be an obedience issue, might be a focus issue, might be an engagement issue, a stress issue, a confidence issue. I knew exactly which kind of category it fell into. And this was without touching dogs at the time. Now again second and third year I trained a lot of dogs in retrospect not nearly as much as I would have wanted to and I know that sounds crazy because I was in the facility all the time I was training all the time but it wasn't as much as I wanted to I didn't get that experience until I worked at a facility outside of college I graduated college I went on to do an internship at a service dog the guide dog foundation out in Smithtown service dogs for the blind which was a wonderful experience again I start stealing this knowledge from the trainers, their 40 years plus experience. I start taking little nuggets, and I put them into my toolbox. I put them into my brain. Then I move on to a facility where I'm meeting people who might not have a formal training background as it relates to a college degree, but they have different backgrounds. Right? They have a fitness background. They have an ailment background. One individual was training people for ailments. Right, physical therapy, and she had moved into the dog training space because she loved dogs. Which means now, I get all this information on healing and doing ailment work. I'm not a physical therapist by any means, but I can take that information and we can use it for other things. The owner of the facility did a lot of fitness. He was a very fit guy, and he was a, a leading example of canine fitness, So I can take his information. So I don't just put my hand in one box and say, okay, well, I'm only going to work with dogs in competition sports. Because that doesn't help me. I train all dogs from all different walks of life. And taking little bits of information from all these places help me create a training plan that actually fulfills the needs of the dog and can get it done a lot faster. So I start taking in all this information and I start using it everywhere I can. Oh, my dog's overly stimulated. Okay, well, what do we look at with police dogs that are overstimulated and have to focus around heavy distractions? We start implementing certain training protocols into just an average person's life with their dog, and I start seeing amazing results. And I go, that's awesome. But I'm not correcting the dog. I'm not punishing the dog. Something that traditionally happens in police work. So now I'm proving that positive reinforcement and using positive techniques can work with the police dog mindset on a companion dog. And in college, one of my professors was steadfast on teaching the new generation that positive reinforcement techniques and proper protocols and training regimens will eventually shift and change the police dog world. And I fell in love with that idea. And I had used to fight people in college, not fight people, but (laughs) argue with people in college about that exact topic. They would want to use a prong on a dog. And I was steadfast on saying it's not necessary. This dog is totally fine. And I could get the results with the dog, but they couldn't. Because they were uncertain of what they needed to do. It was easier for them to shut the dog down than to work through the dog's issue. It was easier for them to shut the dog down because they lacked the skills to do it without. Now, if you're listening to this and think I'm bashing prong collars, I'm not. I do not use prong collars. I do not use corrective methods. And when you people usually ask me, oh, well, why don't you? I've never found a reason to use it. I've never had a dog that would benefit from it. And I've worked with over 12,000 dogs. I've never found a dog that I said, you know what? It would really be beneficial if I just corrected the hell out of this dog, stopped it for a minute, and then moved on. It wouldn't help. It wouldn't. When I could do it a different way that actually helps the dog understand the learning process a lot better and puts them in a position to want to try more new behaviors, better behaviors, alternative behaviors later on in the future. Why wouldn't I set that dog up for success now? Right? If I can teach them the learning process and how they can gain new information, wouldn't they want to train with me next time? Wouldn't they want to try these new behaviors? Wouldn't they start offering better things instead of shutting down and giving up? So after working at that facility for a while, getting 12000 dogs under my belt, I said, you know, what? it's time for me to move on. I'm going to start my own company. That's where Matador Canine Brilliance came in. And I chose the name Matador. I don't know if everybody knows this. Matadors, when they go into the ring, the arena, to fight bulls, they are not the strongest. They do not fight the bull. Matadors go into the arena with the full understanding that, number one, they are not as smart or cunning as the bull. They are humbled. They are humbled in the arena. That's number one. Number two, they go into the arena with the goal of dancing experiencing, relating to the bull. It's a performance. It's a show. And number three, they are stuttering. Stuttering. They're not stuttering. (laughs) Stutter in a a bull arena. You're probably going to get hit. They're studying every small aspect of the bull. And outside of the arena, they're still studying the bull. They're trying to understand everything they can about the bull and what they need to do to manipulate the situation to be a performance? Do they need to move one way or the other way? Do they need to have a cape with them? Do they need a simple tool to get them to where they need to get to? But it's all about setting up the scenario, having the knowledge that they need to know where the bull is headed, right? The bull's running towards them and they've tilted to the right. Does that mean the bull's going to the left or is it going to the right? They have to understand body language. They have to understand the psychology of the bull. Where is the bull going? What is the bull's motive? What is the anatomy of the bull and how fast can they turn? Because if they run straight at me and I don't get them to go far enough behind me, they might turn around and come right back. It's a dance. And when we're training dogs, it's all a dance. It's a game. It's a performance. Our dogs just don't know that. They think it's just all fun and a game and all over the place, and we add a lot more stress and seriousness to it when that's not necessarily necessary. (laughs) Not necessarily necessary, right? It's not so serious. We don't have to put our stress onto our dog. Oh, well, they could run into the street and get hurt. Your dog's not thinking that. It's your job to recall them away from the street or teach them not to go into the street, and it's not because, oh my gosh, they could get hit. They could get hurt. For them, it's, oh, I just don't go in the street. Or when mom calls me, i got to turn around and come back. A matador goes into the arena with the intent of dancing with the bull, not fighting. There's no need to fight your dog and struggle with your dog and have angst between you and your dog. When all it comes down to is needing the knowledge, needing the education. And I'm the first one to tell you, I wasted four years, the first two, studying And not getting the right information. then the next two trying to figure out what was wrong with Breezy. And what I needed to do. I did not understand why she wouldn't walk outside with me. It was because she was petrified. Absolutely petrified. And it took me so long to figure that out. And I'm sorry to Breezy. Because of my lack of knowledge and education and training. I couldn't help her sooner. She loves going outside now because I use whipped cream. (laughs) She loves whipped cream. So I built a positive association with outside. We use whipped cream to keep her attention and engagement. And she loves going outside. If I had known that so much sooner, I could have had so much freedom with her. And I didn't, and that's my fault. It's my fault because I did not seek new information. I took the information I was given. I studied it to the best of my knowledge. I got a little bit of new information here, a little bit of new information here. But I didn't take it serious enough to get somebody to guide me through the process and give me the small nuances. You only get these nuances from seeing so many dogs. I would not be where I am today if I haven't worked with the amount of dogs that I've worked with. It's just not possible. I could read as much as I wanted to read, but until I run into a problem and I say, hmm, I don't know the answer to that, I can't find the new information. Being around all the trainers that I've been around and stealing their information, taking a little bit of their history with me how am I supposed to take all of that, put it into one singular book, give it to you and say, hey, this is everything you possibly need to know about a dog. Every problem that could possibly come up, you need to know this. Everything that's going to happen in life, you need to know this. There's no way I could do it. I could do a series of volumes, sure. Maybe that'll be something I do one day. And I'm, I'm doing my best now to make Matador University a collection of everything you need to know. But if there's something that's not in there, I got to then make a course about it and I got to put it in there. And that's going to happen over and over and over again. So every time I learn something new about a dog and training and bettering your relationship, it'll be in Matador University. If you don't know what Matador University is, it's an online collection of courses that I created myself. You can check it out at matadorcanine.com or learn.matadorcanine.com, and you can see all the courses that are available for just 297 dollars at matadorcanine.com. Guys, this was my story today, and it is still growing. I hope you took some related pieces from it. You learned a little bit about yourself from my experiences, my mistakes, and maybe this is your chance to say, hey, I'm I'm wasting time here. Why am I wasting time? Why am I waiting for my dog to have a problem instead of just teaching them from the beginning? Am I understanding what's going on with my dog, or do I just think I understand what's going on with my dog? Do I need to seek professional help, whether it's with me or not? If you just like listening to my podcast and you'd much rather have a trainer in your area, just make sure they know what they're doing, and I mean know what they're doing. I've had too many people, way too many people, contact me about training. They see everything I have. They go, that's awesome. Let me shop around. They end up going with a different trainer just because they're closer, right? I do virtual coaching for clients all around the world. They end up using someone near their house and then they call me anyway and they say, hey, I didn't like the person near my house. I didn't like anything that they had to offer and I want to train with you. Great. Okay, we can start training. But now we've wasted so much time, whether it's two months, three months, six months, whatever it may be. It could have been two weeks. And now your dog has an issue. And I'm not trying to scare you into thinking that your dog's going to have any issues. What I want to do is prepare you for a realistic possibility. Puppies. I was talking with someone the other day. They just got a four-month-old puppy. And they're trying to do things on their own. And I asked, why did you wait? They said, well, I thought I could figure it out. You're absolutely right. You can figure it out. But do you want to figure it out two years from now? Or do you want to figure it out now? Do you want the answers now? All of the answers now. Or do you want to figure it out over two years, three years, your dog's entire life? Sometimes it takes people three dogs before they go, okay, I finally got the hang of this. It definitely takes people more than one dog to figure out they have the hang of it. But the average person who gets a dog, they don't have the nuances. They don't have the, the repetition, the history. You can only get that from so many dogs, working with so many dogs, having a leash in your hand, having treats on your side for so long. Then you understand the nuances, and I think I have a very good grasp of the nuances of dog training, and I do not pretend to know everything. I'm very humbled every time I learn something new, and I remind myself that because I don't want to make the same mistakes I did when I first got Breezy, my first dog. I let her down because I didn't have all the knowledge. I'm giving you guys as much knowledge as I possibly can now. That's why I do this podcast. That's why I write books. That's why I offer training services. I don't want you to make the same mistakes I did. Thank you for listening today. If you need professional training or advice, head over to matadorcanine.com. Dog training cheat codes is available for physical and ebook download. We also have the dog training planner available. And if you're looking for online courses in loose leash walking, obedience, focus, and other problem behaviors, head over to matadorcanine.com and look for Matador University. Talk to you guys soon. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.